And here it is, the last weekly edition of the Lions 24-7 Penn State Podcast, where I'm Andrew Callahan, as always, with Sean Fitz here breaking down Penn State football, because starting next week, we are going twice weekly, and we will have real football to talk about. Now, here in this week's episode, we are going to go right down to the best and worst case scenarios for Penn State in the 2017 campaign, starting to get to the big picture stuff uh, of the year. Hit on some recent news. Quarterback TJ Johnson has been granted his transfer request. What are the ramifications there? We had an interview with Adam Talaferro. Went about 13 minutes. Went well, in my opinion. I think you thought it went pretty well. Fantastic interview. Adam's always been great to talk to, and you know, he was great this week. I can, you know, I just uh, am ecstatic with what we got out of that. Great to talk with Adam. And then we'll check in, as promised, from last week's episode for the last two opponents on Penn State's schedule within this kind of first four weeks, Georgia State and Iowa. Last week we talked about Pitt and, of course, Akron, who they're open with on September 2nd. Very brief segment before we get into the last three players who were standing out at the very end of camp. And finally, as always, your mailbag questions. Uh, last week we only had two questions for the mailbag. We stepped it up to three. I don't know if everyone is just getting dogged down in the last final days of August here. Or maybe we're a little bit excited for actual football. Uh, but I know I'm ready for something you know substantial to talk about when we go twice weekly. Yeah, we can only listen to ourselves talk uh, so long. So, yeah. I don't yeah. speak for yourself. I, I listen to this before bed every single night just to sweet sounds of my own voice. You just like to drive up those views numbers and keep giving yourself those five stars on iTunes, don't you? Listen, I mean, I made those jokes early on. But for real, they are taking off. And we appreciate that so much. Of course, you can find us on iTunes. Rate, review, uh, tell us what you like. Ideas that you might have for future podcasts. We will continue to have more guests like we had Adam Ron for this week. Uh, but otherwise, we're going to roll right into it. As promised, best and worst case scenario for Penn State this season. You mentioned before we went on, you think this is obvious, but the best case scenario for Penn State in 2017 is? It's undefeated national championship. But we're trying to stay realistic here. Uh, I think it's going to be extremely tough, especially with that trip to the horseshoe. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that you can look at. You know, everybody says best case scenario, you can win a national championship. This is a team that, that could be in that mix, no doubt. And and you can actually believe us when we say that. So, uh, you know, I, I like Penn State to be favored in pretty much every game but one. Um, of course, that trip to Ohio State. But, yeah, they, they have a team that's capable of coming back, putting points on the board, quarterback that's been been, been through it before, uh, running back that's as good as anybody in the game. So you've, you've got an opportunity, depending on how that defense holds up, you've got an opportunity to win every game on your schedule. They've had as much success as anybody in Columbus. Uh, still not a ton, but nobody you know wins regularly at, at the horseshoe. So um, you've got an opportunity to, to make that run if they can get over that hump. Uh, you know The season, the schedule closes out fairly well. Still a tough schedule overall, but I think the, that it stacks up pretty well and you know, you'll see what happens from there. I am with you in terms of the national championship. You know, again, th- this is put into the you know general probable scenarios, even if it is a best case scenario. Because of course, on the flip side, if we went worst, it goes Saquon Barkley breaks both of his legs in week one. Trace McSorley follows, and the team just crumbles and falls apart. We're not going to do that because that's no fun. So for the best case scenario, I'm with you. National championship within the realm of possibility. However, I really, really do not think uh, undefeated is going to be you know a reasonable possibility for this team for some of the reasons you just mentioned. The trip to Ohio State, I think overall the schedule is strong. Longer than it was a year ago. And while this team is going to be better, I think, 
you know, we'll get into our own predictions next week and make them wait a little bit longer for this. But I think there are just tests along the way that I've mentioned even over the offseason. Indiana, Northwestern, later on against Nebraska, which at that point, who knows how things have unfolded in November, that are going to test this team before. Whereas they eked out those close games a year ago, we don't know. Because typically those records, I think they're about four or five and two in games decided by one score. Those do not translate year to year. And I think that's something Penn State will have to overcome, even though we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, and it's and it's a couple tricky games in that schedule, starting with Iowa. Um, you know, if, if, if Iowa is something that goes off off the rails, uh, you know, you could see a team, you know, losing two, three, four games in the middle of the, ske- uh, the schedule. But uh, I think Northwestern is the key. Uh, Penn State staff has a tremendous amount of respect for what they've been able to do at Northwestern. Uh, they haven't been able to beat them. I don't believe the staff has beaten them yet. So nope. I think that's uh, that's one that you know it's Akron, 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 no doubt about it. But if you look uh, if you look at what these guys are talking about, I think Northwestern is is the key game. Um, you know what you're going to get when you play Ohio State, Michigan, even Nebraska to a lesser extent. But that Northwestern team with a veteran quarterback, with a very good running back uh, playing at home, is just going to be. I think it's going to be the uh, the litmus test for this team. Okay, now the part everyone's been waiting for. Worst case scenario. Shatter some dreams here. Well, I think you, you're going to be very well hated if any of those worst case scenarios that you pointed out a little bit ago come true. <laughs> no, I, but, I purposely eliminated them. We can start the hate once the predictions go wrong. But I, I'm looking at this team, and there's so much more talent uh, from top to bottom. I'm not talking one through ten, uh, the All American, the All Big Ten guys, or whatnot. But if you're looking at uh, you know 35 through 85, these guys that can cover kicks, that can come in, that can provide depth and and reps uh, later in the game. Just Penn State's talent level is is so much higher than it used to be. Whereas the the worst case scenario a couple of years ago, you were looking at uh, maybe four to five wins. I think that number's up to seven or eight, and that's that's saying absolute worst case scenario. This team's got a ton of talent. They've got uh, athletes, uh, excuse me, athletes all over the place. That was awful. No, I and, like that athletes. <laughs> yes. Like just a step up from just oh he's an athlete. No, 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 he is an athlete. They've got athlete, they've got elite athletes all <laughs> over the place. Uh, great length, uh, and, and and it goes back to special teams. Penn State. Special teams has improved a ton. Field position has improved a ton, and they've got guys covering these kicks who are scholarship athletes. And no disrespect to the walk-ons, because there's been some really good ones at Penn State in the last couple of years. But uh, you know, it's, it's a different breed of athlete uh, doing doing those the, that dirty work. You've got guys like Aaron Monroe and Nick Scott who have really stepped up. And if they can make the change from uh, being special teams guys to being defenders, I think it's going to be a process that really helps them out. So yeah, worst case scenario, seven and five, uh, eight and four. But which one? I think that. Oh, uh, pin me down to seven and five because I think you're going to go with eight and four. Um, if it goes off the rails at Iowa, if something happens at Northwestern, they go on a little bit of a slide, which I don't see this team doing. I think that that's a, a worst case scenario. But yeah, it uh, it's definitely a lot higher than it used to be considering the caliber of athlete that Penn State has. Athlete. Athlete. Uh, I will go eight and four. And for these reasons, I think obviously the biggest injury you could have in college football is at quarterback. Penn State is very well suited in the event that Trace McSorley goes down. Tommy Stevens would step in. Even perhaps Saquon Barkley, which of course, you know, as I mentioned at the outset, would be the worst case scenario week one. You've got a, a couple of backs back there, Miles Sanders, Andre Robinson, even a Mark Allen, who you've got a lot of confidence in. And they're just deeper. You know, you mentioned it's not so much at the top level where that talent is, but top to bottom. And they'll be, have a lot of guys who are able to 
to step in. One area, however, that will be tested, again, this leads into our next segment talking about TJ Johnson, is in that secondary. I'm not convinced just yet that this pass defense, not only including the secondary, but the pass rush collectively, will be better than it was a year ago. And when you face up against some of these teams, I mentioned Indiana coming in here, returning quarterbacks, some excellent wide receivers. You know, Northwestern will be a different test, more so with Justin Jackson, but Ohio State, you know, other teams are going to face if that pass defense doesn't come together and collectively improve as the season progresses. You mentioned early losses, you know, pick one, Iowa, Indiana, um, Michigan or Ohio State, you know, one of those losses that inevitably no one sees coming. You're up to three or four, and I think eight and four would be the worst case scenario for this team, even if you have injuries and that pass defense doesn't come together. I'm not saying if you're a Penn State fan, you should be worried about it, but that would be the fastest route, you know, to head downhill again in this worst case scenario that we're we're exploring here. Uh, I think we should probably wrap up before people stop listening. (laughs) Yeah, I am sure it's probably happened for a couple of people, but yeah, yeah, I I think what you're going back to is that I don't think there's this guy, there are guys that are irreplaceable. I think uh, you've got Barkley who you got talent behind, you've got McSorley who got talent behind. Where you're looking at the guys who, you know, you'd be in trouble if something happened, Marcus Allen at safety, Blake Gillikin at punter. And we're talking about replacing a punter here. That means Penn State's in a pretty good situation across the board uh, when we're talking depth. Right. On to TJ Johnson. They will have to replace him. Uh, it sounds like, you know, provided this transfer, Johnson, of course, a redshirt freshman uh, who came in late for the 2016 cycle, no longer going to be with the program, provided this is not for, uh, you know, non-football reasons. It looks like that Tariq Castro-Fields, Lamont Wade have, you know, permanently surpassed him in the depth chart. Whether or not that's the case doesn't matter now because he's gone. The top five names, correct me if I'm wrong, are pretty solidified there. I mentioned Castro-Fields, Wade, Grant Haley, and Christian Campbell are going to start, and then Amari Oruwarie around the mound. Yeah, I think I think those are the five to look through, no doubt. Um, uh, we were probably going to see T.J. Johnson on the field in some uh, areas this year, probably special teams. Um, but uh, yeah, you've got those five that you mentioned, uh, Zachariah McPherson as well. So yep. they've got a lot of talent there. Um, not a ton of experience considering two of those guys are true freshmen and, and McPherson is a redshirt freshman. So um, I think at the top of the top of the board, you've got Haley and Christian Campbell who have both played a lot of football. Amani, who's played a good bit last year before he got hurt. Um, but yeah, you, you've got talent, you've got length, you've got a little bit of difference uh, in, in from, from Haley and Wade, the smaller guys, uh, Amani and Campbell, and Castro Fields, the bigger guys. So you, you can move these guys around. I know you love Wade at the nickel. I know you can see Grant Haley playing at the nickel. I mean, he has so far in camp. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, it, it's a matter of do they have, um, you know, do they have the reps to, to balance out the safeties if the safeties can't get it done? And I think, you know, do you take a linebacker off the field, bring in another corner because you have so much talent. I, it's just, I, I think it's more around the corners than mm-hmm. it is at corner is the issue. Uh, staff very high on Castro fields. Obviously we, we know how they feel about Lamont Wade as well. So I think they'll be fine getting it done. I don't think the, the departure of Johnson does a lot um, except maybe take down special teams a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be fine at corner. Terry Smith uh, has done a good job keep coaching those guys up and Haley and Campbell guys that have been hurt in their career need to stay healthy. And if they do that, I think they'll be fine. And I think people forget, speaking about this group as a whole for a minute, very familiar with Grant Haley, Christian Campbell now as well, particularly after a strong offseason, that overall this is a very young group. We mentioned Castro Fields and Wade stepping in. That's great that they've performed well in, in respect to Wade in the spring and fall, and now we have Castro Fields almost surpassing him depending on you know how you define what their positions are going to be. But nonetheless, these are going to be true freshmen who a year ago were on the high school football field and now will be lining up against the likes of you know Pitt in Week 2, of course on the road in a tough environment against Iowa in Week 4, and then coming back to play against Indiana, one of the better passing attacks in the country a year ago. So it's 
you might have confidence in them now, but there's still, you know, time to see how they perform under the spotlight. And then not only forgetting DJ Brown and Donovan Johnson, who are expected to take a red shirt, but at this point, given the depth there, it's a young group, you know, that could be forced into action if injuries were to hit. Yeah. And injuries have already hit with John Reed, but I think you've got enough talent where John Reed's coming back next year and he's walking into a room that's, that's got some experience, has got some talent. I think they'll be better off, uh, you know, at, at some spots next year. Christian Campbell, who, who I've talked about a bunch I think is going to have a big year um, whether that means a lot of interceptions or whatnot I think he's going to you know find his way onto a draft board and get drafted but uh, yeah it just goes back to how, how they've recruited the position maybe over recruited it and you look across the board Penn State hasn't done a ton of that at, at position by position but maybe have over recruited it but they've recruited speed they've recruited length uh, talent obviously is is something they've brought in with Wade and, and Castro Fields and some of those other guys so uh, yeah long term I think they're fine uh, for the short term there's going to be some growing pains with some of those younger guys, but uh, I think they'll be all right. Moving on, we will bring on our promised guest, Adam Talaferro, to the YTBS hotline. That is the yet-to-be-sponsored hotline. Sean, you were able to connect with him, so I'll let you take it from here. Adam, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. College football and Penn State football less than two weeks away. What's this time of year do for you, um, knowing how your career played out? And, and you know, you've been a, a, a big supporter of Penn State, big follower of college football. Uh-huh. What, is this type, uh, what does this time of year do for you? It's interesting, man. I mean, this time of year always brings me back to, to when I played. You know, I got injured back in 2000. But, you know, going from when I started playing football at the age of seven, playing Little League football in high school, then getting to Penn State, this was the most exciting time. You know, the expectations of, of what the season's going to look like and getting to know your teammates and, uh, you know, being in summer camp. I always enjoyed this time. So, you know, I miss football, but I, I always miss a little bit more around these times. Adam, of course, excitement is in abundance around these parts with the, you know, looking ahead to the season, high expectations for Penn State. And a lot of that comes back to the job that James Franklin and his staff have done. I'm curious, as an alum and a well-known alum, can you take us back to the first time that you met James? Yeah, it was, uh, I remember like it was yesterday, I was, when, when Coach Franklin was hired, I was on the uh, Board of Trustees, and, uh, you know, Coach Franklin came over to, to meet the Board of Trustees, and I remember, you know, him shaking my hand and you know he knew my name before I even got to you know tell him what my name was I was like wow this is you know this is really neat you know this guy had really took an interest in you know guys that played there before and you know I just remember saying hey I'm Adam he said oh yeah you know I know your story and uh you know really want you to be a part of the program and the first thing he did was give me a cell phone number you know this guy didn't know me from from anybody just for him to be that down to earth and someone who was just you know just a really cool guy to talk to really you know took me aback and I realized this is just a you know I knew he was a great football coach but he was an even better person from the, the first time I met him and uh, you know we've stayed in pretty pretty close contact since he's been at Penn State and uh, you know just thankful to call him a friend and uh, you know thankful that we have him at, at Penn State as our coach. Yeah playing off that uh, what's your opinion on the job he's done so far obviously walked into a situation that was less than ideal but I uh, got the Big Ten championship pretty quick turned it around uh, what's your thought as a letterman as a fan uh, just to, just as a guy who follows college football what's your thought on that? I think he's done a, a great job. As, as you alluded to earlier, it was a you know tough situation that he walked into, but he was the type that you know I'm sure you know you know Coach Franklin. He's just one of the most positive people that that you'll ever meet, and it's not only coaches and the entire you know staff that he assembled. You know these, these are people that just preach positivity and, and togetherness, and you know when he was able to start recruiting and getting the guys that, that he wanted, and and really I, I think it's just has built. A, 
upon itself over these last few years, and now you, you see his vision come into reality. And I, I tell people all the time, I think, you know, Bill O'Brien was, was fantastic in, in the job that he did, you know, to really – guide us through those the, the most difficult of times at Penn State but then you know with Coach Franklin coming in I, I think everything happens for a reason and uh, I don't think we could have gotten a better person than, than what we've got now and he's uh, uh you know the future just looks so bright and it's because of the vision that he had coming here from day one because I'm sure he had many different opportunities and for him to have chosen Penn State you know he's a Pennsylvania guy I think it was just a great fit for, for everybody and I think the alumni uh you know I know that the Letterman are, are ecstatic just just the way that he's embraced all of us because you know, I played for Coach Paterno. A lot of guys that came before played for Coach Paterno or, or Bill O'Brien, and he, he treats us like he's one of our, like we're one of his guys. And that, that, that's meant a lot to me personally. Adam, I'm glad you brought up, you know, Coach Paterno and Coach O'Brien because, you know, speaking with some other lettermen in recent years who graduated, you know, in the last 10 to 15 seasons, you know, they've spoken to me about this idea of almost an old and new Penn State. And obviously that stems from a lot of the upheaval and change that's been around the program. And it didn't necessarily affect their connection to the school, but they definitely felt, you know, a newness or, or a change around the program. Is that something you or, or other lettermen have felt, you know, in the last years that while you're still connected to the school that, you know, it, it's a different feeling around the program? because of all the change? Yeah, definitely. I remember the, uh, Coach Franklin, uh, I think it was two seasons ago, or whenever, whenever his first season was, he had me come up and he, you know, say, you know, come up to practice. I want you to talk to the team. And, uh, you know, had an opportunity to go out to practice and they had the music playing. I'm like, man, this would never happen under Coach Paterno. <laughs> and, you know, going in, walking into the lo- to the weight room, you know, you know, guys have mustaches and earrings. And I'm like, man, Coach would have never went for that. But it's, it's just, you know, that's today's times. And it's, it's just, it's neat seeing how the transformation has, uh, you know, has has undergone, or you know, under Coach Franklin. But it, it is, it's just different. You know, it's not better or worse. It's just different from when we were there. And and you got to think about today's times and today's athletes. You got to appeal to those type of things because that's what that's what players want. You know, I, I go to NFL practices. You know, I live here in South Jersey and get over to Eagles practices, you know, especially when, when Chip was the coach here, it was the same thing. They had the music playing and, and they still have it today. So it's just a different culture, but, uh, you know, I'm just great. I'm just happy to see that, you know, the players that are there now enjoy the atmosphere and, you know, the Letterman, you know, some of the older guys, I'm 35 now, but I, I would love, I would love to play for coach Franklin, you know, under today's time. It seems like it's a really fun atmosphere that, that they've created. You mentioned the music, mustaches, earrings, all that. What part of the transformation or the change that you've seen under Franklin, you know, has been the most positive in your mind from what was different during your time uh, as a player here? You know, I think the the, the biggest thing was just, um, you know, Coach Coach Paterno was was the type of coach where you really knew, you know, you knew what was was it what was expected of you coming in, and there was a, a certain way. You know, freshmen didn't talk to talk to the media, and it was that's just the way it was. But I, I think it's you know, like I said, in today's times with, with social media, and that's the bit, that's the thing that has been the coolest thing that I've seen. It's just you know, Coach Franklin, you know, the way he interacts with players on social media and his social media presence, and you know, the different hype videos that they got going on. I think that really builds, you know, not so much for the players that are there, but for recruits that are coming in. When you see that hype videos and you see the different things like that, that appeals to the younger athletes. And I think that's a necessary component of, you know, especially if you want to recruit players today, you got to do all those type of things that, you know, Coach Paterno didn't have to do back in the day because, you know, social media didn't even exist. So I think the way that, you know, uh, Coach Franklin has embraced, uh, you know, the, the, the athlete today and, and the social media aspects, I think is a big key to why he's such a great recruiter. 
And uh, judging your follows, your favorites, and, and and basically your Twitter account, uh, you follow recruiting now. Now, a lot of older players don't like to do that. Uh, it's, you know, once they get into the actual team, uh, things change for a lot of them, so they don't uh, play into all the hype and everything. You follow recruiting. What's it like for you to follow recruiting as a former player? And, and I guess what's your thoughts on how they've done so far? Sean basically wants to know how good of a job do you think he's doing? Yeah, basically. <laughs> No, man, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you're looking at the future. You, you guys do a fantastic job, man. It's like when you look at these high school players, you you know, you're looking at the future of, of Penn State. You know, if, if these guys don't come to Penn State, if we don't get these four-star, five-star players, the, the future at Penn State won't look so so bright. But also those three-star players, those two-star players that turn into great co- college prospects. And for me, it's just fun to, to see how all that happens. You know, I, I do motivational speaking, and it was, it was really neat. When I was when uh, Saquon was in, when I was in high school, I, I spoke at his school, and I spoke like five or six times throughout the year at his school. And I remember just meeting him as a, as a sophomore and like a little skinny kid and him you know talking about Penn State and asking me all these questions and now to see where he's at it's just you know for me it's mind-blowing because I would have never you know I knew he was a kid that had a lot of will a lot of heart but he's just this small little skinny kid and now you know to see the the, the monster that he's become is neat and that's what recruiting is all about watching guys grow and watching guys become you know talented you know college athletes this is just a neat process to watch I'm curious what you think Joe would have thought about commitment videos and and top five and top (laughs) ten and top 20 edits and all that kind of stuff no, he, you know, he would be like, get, get out of here. He would, he would have had none of that stuff, man. But that, that's what made, you know, for me, that's what made Joe so special, man. It's like he didn't have to, you know, be like everybody else. He, he, he created this, this mystique of, a, of a program, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm 35, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't familiar with Penn State when Joe first started. But you know, from what I hear, not many people knew about Penn State until Joe put it on the map and it, he did it his own way and I think that's what you know Coach Franklin's doing he's doing his own way he's putting his, his, his personal touches on on different things and I think that's what makes Penn State such a unique program and uh, you know I'm just proud to be a small part of it. Adam you mentioned earlier meeting Saquon as a sophomore and you mentioned him as skinny so you're reporting here that his thighs were not always the size of tree trunks? Not, you know, I wasn't checking him out like that, but I, I could tell you he was—he was—he uh, was not the, the the physical specimen that he is today. I remember he—I remember—it's I, funny. I remember like it was yesterday. He was talking about you know going to Rutgers and you know just wishing that Penn State you know would recruit him. And he—he—we were sitting in the classroom and he showed me his highlight tape. And I thought you know it looks all right, but I just didn't know if he was going to be you know Penn State you know type material. But then when it all worked out and to see you know the thing that I think people need to know about Saquon is like he like you said he just wasn't always as this talented guy he worked for everything that he's got and so it's just really cool to see guys like that that you know really had to work for for every uh you know every accolade that he's gotten every every rep he he's he's just a he's just a solid guy man I'm, I'm proud of him well that's saquon's recruiting story do you have a recruiting story from when you were coming through i know things have changed a ton but uh is there anything that stuck out to you about your process and and i guess how that's changed and how you reflect on that uh, i guess 17 18 years later yeah, for me it was uh, the, the way I really started. Got recruited was my, my first foray was going to the uh, football camps. So I, I remember my sophomore year, I came up to Penn State football camp, and that's where I first got noticed. And I remember at the end of the camp, uh, they said, "Hey, you know, somebody wants to meet you." And they took me to meet Coach Paterno, and I was like in shock. I was like, "Oh man, this is Coach Paterno. He knows my name." And he he, he said, "You know, we're going to keep an eye on you, and we want you to come back to camp next year." And you know, for me, I wasn't a big Penn State guy in high school, and I, at that young age, and I was like, "All right, you know, I'm never coming back." And then next year, I came back, and I told my dad. I remember when I was driving up to Penn State, I was like, "Dad, you know, I'm coming to camp, but this is the last time I'm going to come here." So 
So I get up to camp, and uh, at the end of camp, Coach Materno offered me a scholarship at the end of my junior year. And I said, yeah. And my dad was like, you know, did you you committed to Penn State? I was like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. You know, Coach Paterno asked me. I'm not going to turn him down in person, and that's kind of how I committed. And uh, it's just it's just cool, man. You know, when you're you're being recruited by all these coaches you watch on TV and all these all these teams. I remember I was a big Florida State fan just because of their uniforms. I thought they had cool uniforms. I, I wanted I was thinking about going to Florida State, but uh, Penn State worked out well for me, man. So although I got hurt my freshman year, uh, I couldn't have asked for much more from a university, uh, you know, scholastically and athletically. Now, I almost feel like this question has been rendered moot, Adam, with your connection with Saquon, but I'm curious if you could fill in the blank here for me. You know, your your favorite moment from, from last season was blank. My favorite moment from last season. You know what? It, it was a couple, and it, it was all around my man, my man Joey Julius, man. He he was, the way when he was laying hits on those, you know, those coming down as a kicker, laying people out. Every hit he made, man, I think that was that was the highlight for me. Watching our kicker light up guys. All right, yeah, you know, honestly, I would have had one to one money on that Rose Bowl run, but that was a, a pleasantly uh, surprising answer. All the big hits, <laughs> absolutely. And big big plans for this year. Uh, what do you think of the 2017 uh, season coming up? What are your thoughts on this team? What what can they do? Uh, you know, and I always say, you know, people ask me every year, you know, what do you, and I, I'm biased, I'll admit, I'm biased as hell when it comes to Penn State, and I always, I, I never see losses on the schedule, but it's it's really cool this year to, to be sincere when you say, you know, I, I think if, if everything goes and this team plays up to their, their level that they can play at, they, they have an opportunity to run the table and, you know, get to the playoffs. And, you know, I know they've got that tough stretch with, you know, Michigan and Ohio State back-to-back. But, you know, you, you think about this team and then the lessons they probably learned from the, the Rose Bowl game where, you know, they, they can't be a, a one-half team. They've got to play fo- you know, two halves of football. And I think they learned that in the uh, Rose Bowl game. And hopefully that carries into this season. But with all the guys they got coming back, all the experience that they got coming back, uh, I'm truly excited for this season. Well, Adam, we'll get you out on this one. Do you have any plans to come in and, and perhaps speak to the team once again or, or a couple games circled in your calendar to come and visit for? You know, I, I'm hoping to get up for for this. Uh, I haven't picked any games. I got a I got another. I got a little one on the way in October, and then I and I'm here. I'm involved in politics here in New Jersey, so we've got an election in, in November. So I'll be knocking on doors and doing a lot of politicking over the weekends. But I certainly look forward to getting up at some point. And you know, I, I always whenever I'm up there, connect with Coach Franklin and the team. And the team, and uh, I'm sure there'll be one game that I'll get up for, or hopefully more than one. And uh, but if not, I'll be surely watching on TV and cheering hard as heck for the guys and uh it's gonna be a fun season for everybody involved well a lot more than football coming your way this fall we wish you the best of luck we thank you for having uh, or for coming on and we hope to speak to you again soon thank you guys so much and thank you for for all you guys do for penn state and, and keeping the, the fans involved in all the good stuff as it pertains to recruiting thanks adam thank you guys there you have it. Adam, uh, always generous with his time, offered some great insight, not only into the program that he played for, for Joe Paterno, but also uh, with James Franklin and his interaction with him. But I think it's fascinating to hear different uh, Letterman's reactions to, you know, not so much the the time period, the recruiting or anything like that, but also just uh, the approach that the program is taking now, because obviously it's a very different program than, than when Joe was here and even when Bill O'Brien was here. No doubt about it. And I think the reaction, of course, you know, as you mentioned, when Bill was here and then James and his staff 
staff arrived that the reactions were varied. So get someone, you know, as Adam, who could have taken any number of positions, but said, you know, when I first met him, he knew my name, knew my story. And that, you know, provides a, a good first impression, which as everyone knows, you know, football or otherwise, uh, goes a long way. The other part about that that I took away was we actually had a new Saquon Barkley story, which at this point, if you haven't been paying attention to the offseason, you know, almost all of them have been put out there and thrown out there. And for good reason, he's the biggest part, uh, biggest story on this team. But, you know, to have him meet uh, Adam as a sophomore and show him his film and just go, yeah, I'm hoping for that Penn State offer. And, you know, was skinny once upon a time. That was a, a nice little tidbit that he threw in and I had no idea about. And, yeah, he did his Joe impression, which yes. we're going <laughs> to start having guests do. And it's and it's really funny how Joe – the Joe impressions always end up with Joe telling somebody to get out of here. It's, it's, it's fantastic. But, no, thanks, Adam, for coming on. Uh, it, was a, it was a blast. Um, we hope to have other guests throughout the year and uh, recruits, former players, things like that. So we were happy to have that and have that segment added. Now, before we get into the three players who are standing out at the very tail end of training camp here, a quick segment we mentioned at the outset. Last week, we talked about Akron Pitt. Got you ready. You know, the cliff notes of that was Akron is a team that's been in flux. They've got a returning quarterback in Thomas Woodson, who Penn State players and coaches are going to lather with praise leading up to kickoff. And for good reason, up front, they're a little bit weak uh, and, and they're relying on some new phases of skill positions. Defensively, lost a lot of their pass rush, a lot of transfers in the secondary. So it's very much a wait and see approach there. Pitt probably had the worst offseason of any FBS team that I heard of. How about you? Yeah, it's probably about right. Just injuries, suspensions, uh, a lot of change there. Did get Paris Ford back this week, which will help them in the future. I don't know if he's going to play right away, but he's as talented as anybody they brought into that program in the last couple of years. Just a supreme physical talent. Uh, going to be a you know a pro level safety if he keeps everything on track. And it's a big pickup for for Narduzzi to to get him out on campus and practicing. Yes, and you mentioned safeties. Jordan Whitehead, we mentioned one of those suspended, not going to make the Penn State game. They'll have a new offense, just as they did a year ago, which obviously played a significant role in that game and how Matt Canada was able to scheme Pitt basically to an early start that they were able to hold on to late. Um, moving on, very quickly, Georgia State is going to come in here for week three. It'll be a night game. This is a team that has a new coach, has a new stadium, and a real new outlook. The stadium I mentioned because they're actually playing at the Atlanta Braves old place at Turner Field, which has been morphed. It's a real big news storyline. Doesn't matter here because they're coming up to Beaver Stadium. Uh, but offensively, another quarterback, just like Akron, veteran, has proven himself. Co- name is Connor Manning. No relation before anybody asks. Uh, and they've got nine returning starters offensively. So while there are new schemes and a new approach, I think this is a team that as a whole I like better than Akron, uh, which we mentioned before. Defensively, it'll be the first odd front, meaning a 3-4 team that Penn State sees on the year. It wasn't any sort of difficulty for them a year ago, as we saw in the Big Ten Championship game against Wisconsin. Uh, but there are some talents in pockets where I think, you know, the, the newness of the, the schemes and the staff and the players that Penn State isn't familiar with, they'll be huge favorites, but it leaves for more room of possibility in my mind than you might otherwise expect from, oh, Georgia State's coming to town. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. They're, they're a program that's growing. They fired Trent Miles, whom uh, was actually pretty close with James Franklin. Penn State went down there and did their satellite camps with Georgia State. But yeah, it's a program that's growing. They're committed to it. Whereas, you know, some of these programs that just pop up overnight, you don't see that commitment. They're building the new stadium. They've got a very, uh, as I found out working working for twenty four seven, they have a very committed uh, alumni base, uh, fan support. Uh, that that rivalry with Georgia State and Georgia Southern is uh, it's vicious. I never realized <laughs> that before. There's some angry people out there for Georgia State and Georgia Southern, but yeah, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to pose a ton of a threat to to Penn State. But this could be a team a couple years around, maybe, maybe like a Troy that knocks off a, a team every couple of years. That you're thinking, hey, maybe they're putting some together going to be a stepping stone job. I don't really have any doubt about that, but you're recruiting 
recruiting Georgia. You're going to find diamonds in the rough down there. They've got a tremendous talent base to work with. And I think they, the, you know, their outlook as a program is probably a little bit better than some of these other ones. One of those diamonds in the rough, the last name I'll leave you with for Georgia State, receiver Penny Hart, who was outstanding, Sun Belt freshman of the year a year ago, 71 receptions, over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns in 2015. Uh, then, you know, got hurt redshirted so now he's a redshirt sophomore coming in for week three. First road trip of the season for Penn State at Iowa we had Iowa week back on the site with Sean you know absorbed all that content you know that I wrote and produced you know nonstop about what the Hawkeyes were up to so I, I would let him take it from here but um, I'm going to keep it. Uh, basically the Hawkeyes their deal is this as you would expect you know up front returning a lot offensively and defensively in the trenches secondary is going to miss Desmond King no doubt about it and particularly in the return game they've got a quarterback competition going on no clear winner up until midway through camp on skill positions are are really devoid of playmakers however the tight end position I think you're going to see that often shift to more two tight ends not necessarily something that will you know provide difficulties for Penn State um, but with the newness of the offense it'll be Brian French the son of head coach Kirk French will be installing you know again there's some element perhaps not a total surprise but a little bit different from what I Iowa presented a year ago when they came in here and, and absolutely just got thrashed. And I, I'm not sure why I would read your stuff when I have the 2002 Iowa preview sitting around. It's <laughs> probably exactly the same. This is uh, your grandfather's Iowa the same team. Same formula we're going to see. Yeah, it's going to be a well-coached team. I'm curious what they're going to do at quarterback. Um, not sold on any of those guys that they have out there right now. So, um, you know, can they move the ball in the air? Penn State came in, was so much faster than them last year, and then they turn around and beat Michigan the next week. So, um, yeah, it's it's tough to see what uh, whether or not the, the, the gap is there between the, the home Iowa team, the away Iowa team, but it's a tough place to play every time you go in there. Penn State knows that as well as anybody. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. It's going to be a good test early in the season. Uh, I think Penn State can come out or, or will come out of there with a win, but uh, yeah, it's going to be definitely an early Big Ten test. And last note on Iowa, that week four slate nationally really does not have many other games that jump out at you. So I think, you know, the kickoff time has yet to be determined. I think that very well might end up as a night game at Kinnick Stadium, which I think was a big reason behind that Iowa upset of Michigan a year ago, which seemed just completely implausible given where both of those programs were prior to kickoff. And lo and behold, there are the Hawkeyes walking off uh, with a victory into the night in Iowa City. So last segment before we get to the mailbag, three players standing out. I will lead off with freshman quarterback because I think this one will probably surprise folks the most. Sean Clifford really pushing for that number three job. Yeah, I think he's impressed some guys. I think he's probably a little bit better than people expected. Uh, maybe not better, but stronger. He had the offseason shoulder surgery. He's come in, thrown the ball, ball very well. I think uh, his intangibles are, are something that maybe you don't uh, you don't get with, uh, or you get with Trace McSorley, but you don't necessarily see a, a freshman coming in handling things as well as he has handled them. So uh, you look at Clifford, I'd like to see him redshirt personally I, I think he's got a good future at Penn State uh, whereas you've got Tommy Stevens and Trace McSorley in front of him uh, but yeah Clifford is impressed so far he's got a stronger arm than they expected he can lead the, the huddle being that and I think he, he he's one of those guys that you look at as a potential fu- future captain mm-hmm. um, and of course you want your quarterback to be right in that mix and, and Clifford's one of those guys with Justin Fields not coming uh, in anymore you don't have that early impact guy right behind him so maybe get a little bit uh, of an opportunity for Clifford to to get more time to develop and, and eventually make a run at that starting job. Um, Jake Zembeck's there in front of him right now. Don't know how long that's going to happen. I think Clifford's done enough that uh, you know he's going to push for that number three job. Like I said, would like to see him continue to uh, keep that red shirt on as long as possible. But uh, yeah, he's impressed some guys so far, and I think that's the biggest thing to take away from it. 
mentioned Sean Clifford as a potential captain. I'll relay this one story that I wrote on National Signing Day, basically detailed how Clifford, of course, an early commit, but pulled that class together in its entirety as it closed down the stretch. And I think that speaks to not only his commitment to the school, but also the people around him. And that's the kind of quarterback you, you want to have because he makes you know his teammates better, as you hear so often. And for a guy who might not, you know, as you said with Justin Fields, you know, have that just physical dominance over an opponent, you know, that that's probably the next most important quality to have. It's someone at that position and clearly he's brought it and, and improved and, and impressed um, early on in camp as you mentioned being stronger than anticipated yeah and I don't think that's that can be understated it was the first commitment in the 2017 class was committed for you know uh, I think the the July prior July 2015 so I mean he's been been committed to Penn State forever stayed with Penn State had a couple of second thoughts when Joe Moorhead came in maybe wasn't a perfect fit for his offense but has come around to that has picked up the offense has, has sort of uh, gone from there and I'm excited to see what Sean Clifford can do it's one of those guys that I'm, I'm probably more excited to see in the spring game next year than than on the field this year. But I think Clifford's uh, got, got a world of potential, and I think they'll be all right. And and as we see, Trace is not the most physically dominant guy. Tommy has yeah. probably better physical tools, but you know if you can guide that offense, if you can be a leader, you can you can run this offense. You can run Joe Moorhead, James Franklin's system. So I think uh, you know he, he's got a bright future ahead of him. We'll see what Penn State does at quarterback on the recruiting trail. Uh, Will Levis behind him, uh, you know, is a talented kid, an athletic kid, but he's not just. Justin Fields. Um, no, Nobody no disrespect. As we've said. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's going to be fun to see how this plays out and, uh, you know, where Penn State is at quarterback right now, where they'll be in a year, a year and a half. It's going to be really interesting. Now, speaking of being connected to Penn State forever, Deshaun Hamilton, another person, you know, improving, impressing in camp. We'll play a little bit of inside out. Everybody is the, uh, you know, every time somebody goes back, we go back to recurring themes, which we talked about last week. Deshaun Hamilton is the first guy they bring up. Of course, Juwan Johnson is a guy they talk about as well, but Hamilton has produced before. Um, I think he's going to play more in the slot. We've talked about inside out, but they've got options on the outside with Johnson, with Black now, with with DeAndre Tompkins. So I think we see um, him more in the slot, uh, playing ahead of Brandon Polk, and he's just had a phenomenal camp. I mean, he's just the first person people turn to, and and usually that's a pretty good sign because those are guys you know that, that, that have talked about like Barkley and, and and things like that. So um, excited to see what Hamilton can do. I think. He's got that chip on his shoulder for that second game of the season, um, and I think yes. he's going to have a big start to the season. I've said it before several times. He's going to lead this team in receptions, whether that means yards and touchdowns as well. I think he's going to be a guy that moves the chains for him, makes a lot of the big tough catches that Chris Godwin made last year. So I'm excited to see him develop, and he deserves it. I mean, he's after you know uh, sort of taking a step back last year, uh, put in the work that he needed to do, and I think he'll be he'll be fine this year. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the offense, how, how that um, how that approach changes when you don't have Chris Godwin on the outside, but you've got a guy like Deshaun Hamilton who can make those catches on the inside. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's just about reliability. Wherever you're lining up, could be a tight end with Mike Kosicki, who's someone you can go to on third down, throw it up, and feel you know secure that they're going to be able to come down with it. Last note, you mentioned week two, obviously against Pitt, you know, chipping his shoulder there. He's also going to be really key to their game plan as he was a year ago, where they went to him three, four times in that initial opening drive because Pitt, you know, base coverage is a, is a quarter's look, and, and the one weakness there, no matter what variation you're playing is typically in the flat so as a guy lined up in the slot who can leak out into the flats he'll see a lot of targets there against Pitt and will be a big part you know regardless of past performance best case scenario I'm gonna say he catches 10 balls against Pitt I think that's best case yeah I think that I mean that I think that's a high number to to go at but yeah I think he's a guy that can put up double digit catches which happens a lot less than you would think so um, I'm excited to see what Hamilton could do especially early in the season and you know what I think helps that cause too is that say it's you know a four score game heading into the fourth quarter they're not going 
going to stop passing the ball by any means. No, I think he'll have an opportunity for catches. They want to score some points. Uh, down the stretch. All right, the last one. Up front, you wrote about him yesterday, Alex Gellerstead. Alex Gellerstead is a guy that they've pointed to as he, he's on that plane where he's probably not going to play this year, but if they need him to play at the end of the season, he might be ready. Next season, he can he can contribute after uh, guys like Andrew Nelson are gone. Um, I, I think they are just thrilled with his uh, progress to date. Showed up as an early enrollee right along Connor McGovern. Uh, McGovern, of course, uh, was a starter right away or worked his way into into being a starter. Uh, Gellerstead was nowhere near ready. 275 pounds when he came in. He's about 6'7". Huge kid, uh, but he's added 30 pounds since. He's he's made some strides, not only uh, on the field, in the weight room, but I think he's put on the tape and he's put in the work there. And, and that's the biggest thing. He knows where he needs to be. Um, he started moving guys in the run game, which he hadn't done prior to this year. So um, he's getting first, second team reps with the, with the tackles banged up at times. So uh, I'm excited to see his development. Uh, I, I put him on uh, the Sterling Jenkins plan. He's probably not going to be ready for another year or so, but uh, excited to see what he, he can do. Um, I think he's a, he's one of those guys that you look to on the two deep and, and providing you depth th- uh, throughout the duration of his career, but could be a two-year starter, which is probably a little bit more than we expect. And that uh, that, that class that he came in with, with Mennett, McGovern, oh, Will loaded. Fries, yeah, it's loaded with offensive linemen. And I think that sort of takes uh, a year or two off of uh, the the curve that you needed to develop some of those uh, those offensive guys. So um, they're thrilled with Gellerstead. Um, he's going to continue to develop. I'm not going to see a ton of him this year, but I think the uh, the potential to be a, a solid right tackle is right there. And that meant you know that feeling of being thrilled. I think has grown over the course of the last twelve months too. Because before, as I recall, you know, in conversations with people within the program, it was always you know how are things going up front? You, your usual names were thrown around. Then it was always okay. Let me give you one more, which you knew really kind of came from this place of honesty and excitement. And it was always Gellerstead. You know, he might not be there. There were some you know qualifiers at the initial part, but then always got to you know he's really improving. He's working hard, no doubt, with that six seven frame, being able to add as you mentioned thirty pounds. You know, the physical tools have been there and now putting it all together as a guy who's continued to do that you know maybe not even on a linear plane but someone who you could see the future getting closer and closer to where he could be impacting you know games on Sundays Saturdays yeah and he was a defensive end a couple years ago so I mean he's got the athletic base he's got the frame you know he's got a lot of the different uh, boxes that you need to check just never really put it together Uh, I'm excited to see if he does that over the next year and a half I had a slip there with Sundays, um, but oddly enough, that'll offer a really nice transition to question number one in our mailbag. So I'm going to go with that was on purpose now. Uh, <laughs> well played. Well Shortly played. after uh, Robert Windsor, this comes from our boards, you know, arrived on campus. Sean, you mentioned the kid had, quote, a very bright future and the talent to play on Sundays, end quote. Who are a couple younger guys on this team that the staff feels similarly about? Now, the reason this is of note, of course, because Windsor was a late addition to his class, not highly recruited, but nonetheless, as you mentioned, has the talent and capability to perhaps become a pro. Yeah, I look at that 2017 class and, and the guys that are actually getting the the pub right now are the guys that, you know, they were looking to maybe uh, look to develop in a year or two. Uh, Yitor Grossmatos, Tariq Castro-Fields, guys that have NFL bodies um, that, that, that maybe were a little bit raw coming in. Those two guys, I, I, I think Grossmatos can be a, a fairly high draft pick. I mean, he's, he's got the athletic numbers to back it up. Um, he's still going to add size, add strength, and uh, I think actually Castro-Fields might be stronger on him than the bench but uh, once he gets all that stuff uh, sorted out he's going to be a high ceiling prospect um, as well as Castro Fields a guy that just continues to be brought up and I know you're going to laugh at me but Mike Miranda I don't know that he's an NFL guy 
but he's a guy that's going to be a three-year, maybe four-year starter for Penn State, and he's and, and you know he doesn't have the prototypical body or or length or anything like that. But man, he's a good football player. He's a guy that the the coaches are excited about. And on the flip side, uh, Des Holmes is a guy that the coaches are excited about for other reasons. He's not there yet. Um, he's he, I think he came in better than people expected him to be, but I don't think the bar was all that high. Uh, you got great length. He's got great uh, mass, size, everything, strength as well. Um, but yeah, he just. Uh, not that, not the player he needs to be yet, but yeah, he's got everything. When you talk about the prototypical, what you're looking for in a right tackle in the NFL, he's got the ability to grow into that. So uh, those are just a couple guys in the 2017 class that they're excited about. We mentioned Clifford a little bit ago. Um, he's another one of those guys that's maybe not prototype arm strength or anything like really, that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you start for a couple of years, you can grow into being a prospect. I mean, uh, we talked about Iowa early. C.J. Beathard was a third round pick or something like that. So you, you've got opportunities to, to to grow into that. So. Um, those are just a couple of guys. I'm, I'm not sure there's any surefire, um, you know, first rounders or anything like that. But uh, Gross Matos is probably as, as close as a defensive end as, as, as we've seen. Staying in the defensive line, this question comes from Twitter, and I'm going to take it very quickly. Uh, we've referenced terms like one technique, three technique, five technique as positions along the defensive line. This confuses some people because, of course, typically the term technique, you know, means uh, a skill, you know, or a movement you might be applying a defensive line. Well, up there, that really refers refers to your position and where you might align before the snap. So if you can picture for a moment standing on the opposite side of an offensive line, so you got two tackles, two guards, and then a setter in the middle, a zero technique would be if you were to line heads up from the center and you are nose to nose with him. Now, Penn State typically doesn't employ a zero technique. They usually use a one, a three, and a five, which I referenced earlier. So one would just mean you're on the shoulder of the center, a three technique moving outward, you would be on the outside shoulder of the guard. And then a five technique, you could probably guess it, as on the outside shoulder of the tackle. Now, for a couple you know, folks who have thrown around the term wide nine or think that's a, a fun term to throw around, that would be on the outside shoulder of an imaginary second tight end. So you've got one tight end next to the tackle, and then a second one. Typically, of course, that's not there. That's a, you know, a position or a technique you might use in an obvious passing situation. You don't see it a whole lot from Penn State, really, if ever, uh, more so in the NFL ranks or different schemes. But, you know, when we talk about one, three, and five techniques, those are the typical alignment for where you'll see Penn State's defensive linemen and where they're lining up pre-snap, you know, again, over the center, the guard, the defensive end, or maybe even a little bit wider in a six or a seven, uh, again, depending on the down. So that's all cleared up. You look thoroughly excited as I went through all that. I, I don't know. I've been checking my phone the last time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch out on this because this one is, is intriguing and it'll matter more to some people than others. Um how do you think Penn State fares against the point spread this year? They were 10-3-1 a year ago. Is that because they took college footballs by surprise? Or should we expect a repeat performance due to the high-powered offense? I think they took everybody by surprise. I mean, yes. you look at the the first half of the season especially, and granted, they you know they got run out at Michigan and they had the pit game. But yeah, I mean, the, the numbers weren't even close at times. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that they didn't, the, the Vegas didn't have faith in the Joe Moorhead offense or, or anything like that, but the numbers were, were not that close. So, um, you know, I think that they catch up a little bit this year and, and you know, maybe give Penn State a little bit uh, more points to work with, which, you know, uh, whether that's a good thing for the betting industry or not, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I think that number, uh, 10 wins against the spread, it was it? Yep. Uh, I think that number could, could, it was probably going to go down. Right. Uh, I agree. I think this was a team that was underrated for quite a long time. And, again, the, their first appearance in the college football playoff poll was at number 12. So this wasn't just some, you know, steady linear rise that they made. It was boom, big upset of Ohio State, 
followed that up with a blowout of Purdue and then just smashed Iowa and it's hello here we're at number 12 we just justified where we were and then slowly crept up from there just to the fringe of the final four uh, but this is a team again two and two after a 49 to 10 loss in Michigan and then just you know ripped off that winning streak and route to the Big Ten Championship perennially underrated uh, and I don't think that's going to happen again they've been number six in the AP poll now and the coaches poll so you know if Florida State were to lose week one to Alabama, who they're going to meet in Atlanta, that means they're probably going to tumble down, I would imagine, that 6-7 area, which puts Penn State, provided, of course, they beat Akron, you know, up into that top five. So this is not a team that will be taken lightly anymore. They'll score more points, but I, again, I, I particularly with that early schedule, uh, I think this is a team you'll see that record even out a little bit more against the point spread. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and I think they're going to have an opportunity to put up points. We're not saying they won't. Um, but yeah, I think that they're going to get a little bit more respect this year. They're going to be in the top 10 to start the season and, and probably for most of the season. So um, yeah, I think they're going to have uh, bigger point spreads to work with. Um, the over-under is going to be fascinating this year, I think, just based off of, you know, what can this defense, uh, you know, play the reps that they need to keep that score down? Uh, we will see. So uh, I'm really interested to see where those um, where those spreads are in the middle of the season we're talking about michigan ohio state um because i think it could go either way right now but i think penn state uh you know will be favored in all but one game and we'll see how that turns out and speaking of over unders i'm glad you brought that up because if anyone out there is betting on the length of the podcast episodes as we go on with this my suggestion would be very simple always take the over on whatever number someone is throwing out there for how long we're going to go we knew we we had an interview today went about 13 minutes that was going to eat up a good chunk of this episode and we still ran well over i think either what one of us expected but it'll be interesting to see where we're at at week nine because of course going twice weekly as we mentioned you know are we going to have enough uh you know energy to gas bag for that long well i'm I'm not i'm going to be exhausted (laughs) i have two young kids you know that but yeah it's uh the important thing is that you're still listening we appreciate you listening uh once again oh we're flattered by the uh the 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 comments the reviews and everywhere it's it's been a phenomenal uh reception um so yeah we're excited to keep doing this we can't wait to go to two weeks and uh i'm not sure my wife feels the same way but we can't wait to uh to go to two weeks and and provide some more content for y'all so we'll see you next week twice I'm a millionaire, I'm a young money millionaire, tougher than...